Welcome to the DL. This is the show where we talk about everything in the truck and equipment repair industry. It's my job to help inform and educate you on ways to help your business. We talk with technicians, business owners, associations, industry experts, manufacturers, and even a few you wouldn't think traditionally apply to your business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson. This is the podcast show where we talk about everything to do with truck and equipment, maintenance, repair, parts, everything you need to properly fix a truck and maintain a shop. And there are experts out there. A lot of the episodes we've done this year have been talking about experts and resources that are out there. And today I'm going to introduce you to one more. So this gentleman, he actually works with a lot of truck dealerships, the OEM dealers. So with that, I'd like to just welcome Keith with uh, Kia. Kia, I'm sorry. Is it Kia? It's not Kia. It's Key. It's Key Advisors. Key Advisors. Key Advisors. Advisors. There's that A in there that always gets me. That's right. So Keith, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much, Tyler. It's great to, to be here and to uh, spend a little bit of time with your audience. So, you know, I was just telling you before we got started, my family owned a truck dealership. We had no, I'd never owned one before. We had no idea, right? Um, and I got kind of thrown into that in the beginning. It's really where my heart is. That's where I got, that's where I got started in the industry. And that's why I stayed in the industry was because of that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people have this misconception that truck dealerships are just sitting there and just have bank vaults and are printing money because they're, they're just rolling in it faster than they can make it. it I'm assuming that's not quite true. Which no, what that's, happens. that's 100% true. I don't know what happened <laughs> to your store. Actually, no, you're right. It is, uh, uh, I, I grew up in the business too. My dad was a GMC truck dealership way before, way before GMC was a, a um, what do you call it? A, on the, on the uh, retail side of the business, I guess, light duty side. Okay. They didn't have any Denali's and, uh, that type of stuff is all commercial trucks. And at one point in time, GMC back in the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, up into the 80s had class eight trucks. And that's what I grew up in. And uh, he was, there's a lot of things you could learn from, uh, from watching operations. And one of the things that I learned from him pretty quick was there's a term called absorption that he used. I thought that was something he made up, but I figured out over time that, that it wasn't, but he was very good at that. He, uh, they ran somewhere probably 120, 130% absorbed. And this would have been 60s, 70s, early eighties. And if you think back to the time of the early eighties, that's dating me now, but uh, interest rates were 20%. And so floor plan was a big deal if you carried a lot of new inventory. So you had a lot of things that frankly are not going on today uh, that were happening then high interest rates, um, the, there was a lot of uncertainty in the economy, kind of like it is today in terms of uncertainty of the economy, but interest rates are low now. And that's a, that's a big difference in, in, in business. But, you know, you talked about the, the difficultness, I guess, Tyler, of the, of the industry. It's a really low margin business. You know, you, again, I, I think that people think of truck dealerships, car dealerships, equipment, dealerships as being something because they sell a $80,000 Raptor or a $150,000 tandem axle tractor or uh, whatever a combine costs that, boy, you you must be making, if it's a 
$500,000 combine, you've got to make $200,000 on the sale of that combine. And, and reality is that there's not much, not, not much margin on any new piece of equipment. Um, used equipment is, is a roll of the dice. Some people are really good at it, some are not. And so that brings us to fixed operations and that's parts and service. And that's what you spend a whole lot of time on is, is, is service. And, you know, if, if dealerships are really good at service, I say dealerships, but it could be a independent repair shop. It could be a mobile maintenance truck. If they're good at service, you know, you have the chance to make a good amount of money on that, in that department. But from a dealership level, when you roll it all together, where the margins are tight, you know, a very well operated dealership will return four or 5% as a percent of sales. So if you think of some of these larger dealership groups that are doing three quarters of a billion, a billion dollars, over a billion in revenue a year, take that times 3%, 4%. It sounds like a lot of money until you realize it, that the, the uh, room for error is pretty small. Um, and they're getting pressure from uh, from the manufacturers on on what warranty is. They're getting pressure from uh, from uh, um, manufacturers on pricing of parts because the manufacturers are are have a lot of agreements with large fleets on parts pricing. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting dynamic right now. It, it is, and I remember that was my big wake up moment when I worked for my dad's you know dealership when they had it. And we were a Western Star dealership. So we're kind of niche, right? We're, we're selling logging trucks and dump trucks. And we were doing okay on the front end, making a little bit of money selling the new trucks. And then kind of got merged into a Freightliner dealership. And yeah. all of a sudden, now you're selling fleet trucks. And, you know, they're doing fist bumps. They're making a couple grand selling $100,000 <laughs> trucks, right? And, and yeah. it, it's insane to sell a six-figure, you know, piece of capital goods. And you only make a little bit of money at the end of the day. And you got commissions yeah. and floor plan. And, you know, since you mentioned, you mentioned a couple terms that our, our readers might not be familiar with uh, and listeners, just, can you just explain to everyone what absorption is and why it's really important for, sure. for any dealership, OEM or aftermarket? Sure. So uh, there's actually two absorption terms that we use. One is what we'll call fixed absorption. The other total fixed absorption is the ability of the parts service. If you have a body shop department to absorb all the expenses of the dealership. So from a math standpoint, your numerator, the top number, is the gross profit from parts, service, and body shop. So gross profit divided by the expenses of the entire dealership. Expense of new, used, parts, service, body shop, and then the admin expenses as well. There's a couple of expenses that you pull out, but in essence, it's all the expenses. So when you think about that, what it says is if you have enough gross profit from those three departments and they can pay the expense of the entire dealership, meaning you're over 100% absorbed, then you've got a lot of flexibility in how you price a new truck. Um, and so it's, and in times like this, where the factories are stopped, there's not a lot of new truck sales, boy, being 100% absorbed plus is really important because it's probably the only way you're going to make money in this type of market. Total absorption takes that same equation. It adds in used truck gross profit. And we do that because used trucks, uh, there's a lot of fallacy that used truck um, values are driven by the volume of the business going out, how much you're selling. Reality is one of my, one of my uh, 
uh, really good friends that works for us, John Whitnell, he'll always say, it's supply, stupid, it's supply. And it's all about the supply. Volumes are really static. I mean, they're, they, there's not a wide band of, of range between low and high volumes any year. And any given year over the last 40 years, I've used truck sales in terms of units. But the supply dictates the, the value of the used truck. And so <clears throat> if you don't manage the inventory, and I know that's one of the things that, that we've learned is there's two pieces of, the, of any financial statement. The income statement, which most dealers and most people are really familiar with, sales, gross, and expense. But the other side of it is the asset and the liability and the net worth, also called the balance sheet. And man, if you let the new truck balance sheet get all, all out of whack, or excuse me, used truck balance sheet, the asset side of the of the balance sheet, your inventory get out of whack, you're in real trouble. So that's why we include used truck into that calculation. So absorption, total absorption, really important. The higher the percentage, the more money you're going to make. And from a strategic standpoint, the higher that absorption level is, the more flexibility you have in pricing new trucks um, to, to the market. And so if you're trying to penetrate a conquest customer and you're 130% absorbed, you can choose to sell that at a loss if you want to and still make some money in the, as a dealership. Yeah. So, so, you know, again, going back to my family, I don't think we were ever even a hundred percent absorption, right? <laughs> we were, we were figuring it all out as we go. Yeah. But you know, I read the financial reports. I listen to like, you know, rush truck standards. They, they talk about yeah. an absorption number every single quarterly, every single annual one. I mean, I think those guys are 118 or percent or, yeah. or somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It's because they're managing those those operations, the body shop, the parts, the service. They know what they're doing there. They've cut expenses out. They're efficient. They're smart with their money and how they spend it and what they do with it. That they're then able to say, okay, now we're going to go acquire more customers and do those things. And the other one you talked about, especially in time now when people weren't buying new trucks or having problems with trucks or you have too many used trucks sitting around, you talked about floor plan. And it might yeah. be a term some people that aren't familiar with how dealerships work. And this is a term that's used in auto, truck, RV. It's used everywhere. Can you explain to everyone yeah. what a floor plan is? Yeah. So floor plan is, and it's a not really sure where they came up with the term floor plan. It's been around forever. Um, but but most dealers, the majority, probably 95% plus, don't pay for their own, for their new truck, new car, new equipment, whatever it is inventory. It is, it is, they borrow money, if you will, to buy that truck, to buy that new, new pickup, to buy whatever it is that's in their inventory. Uh, they, they borrow money. And then when they sell that uh, truck, then they pay off the, the lender. And, you know, you'll see people like, and I can't think of from the car side, I want to say GMAC, but that's no longer there. It's, I think it's Ally now is a GM source. And, Ford Motor Credit and so on, from the truck dealer side, Packar Financial, Volvo Financial, Daimler Financial, and so on. Um, <clears throat> those finance companies own or a bank owns the assets, the the new truck asset, until uh, the, the the vehicle is sold, and the, then the uh, dealer pays them off, and so they get charged interest on that for having the truck on the lot and uh, in stock in a car dealer the same way so what we learned about floor plans when it's the truck dealership world 
They don't let you keep a truck on a floor plan forever. They, no, they, they don't. There, there was <laughs> limits there, and then you either had to sell that thing at a loss and just get rid of it so you can have the money to pay the floor yep. plan back, yep. or you got to pay that thing up, but they just don't let you have it. So what happens to dealerships when, when you know, we're really cynical, right? Like it, it, times are booming and times are rough. Times are booming, times are rough. I and mean, I know emissions has played a big part in that and the 08 crisis and all that. But that's got to have a pretty dramatic effect on dealers when all of a sudden they're sitting on a ton of inventory and it's on a, it's essentially on a loan to the bank and there's not a lot of buyers. How do how do dealerships work through that? It's tough. You don't. I mean, you know, it's it's a that's a really good question. And and so it depends if it's a new or used product. Number one, if it's used, you need to move fast. Uh, if they floor plan used product and let's say you bought the you brought the truck into inventory at. $30,000. That's what you gave on the trade. Um, and you floored it for 30 and the value goes down in the market to 25. You better get rid of the truck. Uh, more than likely the value is not going to go up. So, so we use a term called velocity. So velocity, most people understand it. It's the speed, the speed and direction of something. And hopefully you're going the right direction, going really quick. So you're moving the right direction, moving inventory out from a new truck standpoint, it's a little a little more difficult um, because that that asset you may have it floored at hundred thousand dollars, which is what you're paying the the manufacturer for that for that piece of equipment. And uh, as you said, you may you you may get to a point that you're going to have a write down. It's not really a write down. It's a it's a a pay down, if you would, to the to the flooring source after a certain period of time. And at some point you have to make a decision, is the interest cost that I'm paying, does that outweigh a loss that I'm gonna take on the, on the truck? And uh, every, it's, it's a financial decision. Um, you know, we were looking at a, we have a customer of ours that uh, has gone through, they've been acquiring quite a few dealerships this summer and into the fall. And part of that due diligence process was looking at the value of the new truck inventory. You know, 2019, even though it's a year-old truck, um, in some it may be a two-year-old truck now because there's 2021s in the marketplace now. But 2019's, 2020's probably not a big issue. But some of the, one of the locations they were acquiring had some 2015, 2016, quote, new trucks still in the inventory. And, you know, those are not worth the value that uh, – that they bought them from the manufacturer, even though there's zero miles and still 100% warranty on that truck, just the time frame alone, uh, the depreciation of, of, of that time causes um, really impacted the value of that dealership and what they're trying to do with it. So inventory management is really crucial. So I know we've been talking here for about 15 minutes or so, and I'm guessing our audience at this point is like, okay, this, this Keith guy really <laughs> knows his stuff, right? So, I hope so. Yeah. So what, like, what's your background here? How did, I mean, key, you know, KEA is the acronym and that's, that's, you know, Keith Ealing Associates, right? So yeah. how did this thing get started? And I, I think I saw another person, the same last name that works with you guys as well, possibly. <laughs> so how, yeah, how did this is. thing get started? Yeah. So that's a good question. I appreciate the, appreciate the softball there. That's always, <laughs> always enjoy talking a little bit about ourselves. Um, so I told you, grew up in the business. Um, when I graduated from college, I got into my own dealership and uh, figured out real quick that I didn't know very much about what I thought I knew. And um, got out of that dealership. We, we actually tried to sell the dealership in a small town 
in a, I'm from Kansas. I've stayed in Kansas my entire life. And that would have been 1985, 86, 87, 88. And decided that, you know what, I, I, I don't know as much as I should. It's not going to be profitable for a long term to hold on to this business. So we got rid of it. Uh, we couldn't sell it um, because of what the manufacturer was saying. So we got to go through a startup process and a close down process in a three year time period, which is pretty interesting for somebody that at that point would have been 24 okay. years old, 25 years old. Went back to school, got my MBA, um, went to work for, uh, well, as getting my MBA was a, a, uh, service advisor slash shop foreman on a second shift for a, a, a dealer group, a commercial truck uh, dealership, and then became a controller for them and uh, worked for them and then left to be, be a CF, CFO for a larger group, uh, had both commercial truck and car, and left them in 1995 and uh, um started doing consulting work then and figured out real quick. While I knew quite a bit, it was really in learning how to apply it. That was really the tough thing because when you, when somebody directly works for you, um, it's pretty easy. You just say, go do it. But when, when you are being hired by them to help them, you got to take a little different tact at that. So, so part of it was learning how to do this. Um, in 1996, um, had the good fortune to start teaching at the American Truck Dealer uh, Dealer Academy and taught there until the end of 2019. So 23, 24 years, we taught the commercial truck side for ATD and grew that academy quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> the business has morphed, as most businesses do, and around 2004, for a while, it was me and one other person, and then it was me. And then in 2006, 2007, brought three people on board. Alan Phibbs, who works for us, he uh, worked for us, became the director of the Dealer Academy, both car and truck, and then came back to work for us about three years ago. Mark Martinsic, who's still our, uh, he's our director emeritus now of advisors, and then Kent Ely, who's my brother, and Kent is our controller. We now have um, 15 people on staff, not counting myself. We've got experts in service, in parts. Uh, we have a, a marketing and admin slash sales uh, specialists to market our business. And then about two years ago, we purchased um, Whitnell Analytics, which was a, a, a consulting company, an analytic company for uh, the used truck side. They also do some new trucks. And Whitnell Analytics and, and now Key Advisors, from a used truck standpoint, we have the largest database of used truck data, valuation data of anybody in the market. And we uh, we turn out valuations every, every month uh, is what's happening in the market. Uh, a lot of auction analysis, uh, retail sale analysis. We get it out quicker than anybody else and uh, have more data. And so, uh, John Whitnell um, has been forecasting what's starting to happen in the used truck market for about the last five months, which we're starting to see value increases. So um, the business has changed at the heart of it. It's still the same, though. Our tagline is uh, unlocking dealership profit. And if you've ever read it, you'll see that profit is 
capitalized, bold, italicized. And it's not accounting profit. We do something called um, economic profit is the correct term for it, but it's a measure of cash flow. And uh, we talked earlier about the balance sheet and the income statement. We do a lot of work on both sides of those to try and make generate more cash and more profitability for the for the dealer. You know, it's funny, before being a business owner, I really only cared about profit and loss statements, right? My companies I work for, reading for other companies. Now that I'm in it, that balance sheet has become a lot more important, especially <laughs> with COVID coming on and everything going on here. Uh, but going back to your, your, your comments about the data you guys are collecting, you actually yeah. have something pretty unique, and that's your volume indicators. Yeah. And it's really unique what you do because you're getting that straight from dealers on a very quick basis. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about those volume indicators and, and kind of how's 2020 gone? Yeah. So we, so, you know, I'm going to go back real quick to your balance sheet comment. If it wasn't for that dadgum cash line, this would be pretty easy. You know that? <laughs> you always got to have cash in the bank. Um, the volume indicators, we started, we've never done these before until I think it was the second week, the second or third week of COVID. It might probably is the first week of April. And we decided that we would uh, start tracking what was happening in the market. Number one, we wanted to get a feel for how much the how much volume was going down. And we tracked volume both by number of tickets written. So number of repair orders written, number of uh, counter tickets, parts counter tickets written, and then also the dollars per repair order or the dollars per counter ticket. So we wanted to understand what was happening so we could adjust if we needed to. But also we all, we also knew that um, our customers wanted to understand what was happening from a market standpoint. They were really asking at that point, tell us what's happening because we know what's happening at our dealership, but we can't see what's happening outside. So we're surveying uh, 81 dealers on the service side, 79 dealers on the uh, parts side. <clears throat> we, we measure the number of repair orders that are open during the week, and then also the dollars on repair orders that are closed. And repair orders are a funny thing because there's this magic dust that happens at the end of the week, end of the month every time. So none of the dollars on the repair orders are ever accurate till the end of the month. But what is really interesting, Tyler, is that we've seen, we saw the high point being around week, uh, somewhere around week nine, 10 of the year. So that'd be about halfway through March. If you remember right, yeah. uh, the, the national, emergency was declared on March 13th. So that put us right before the national emergency. And we're somewhere around 5.7, 5.75 thousand. So 570, or, or excuse me, not 575,000, 5.72 thousand repair orders a week for those 81 um, dealers. It dropped all as low as 4.26 thousand, so 4,260 repair orders. That would have been about week 22, so three months after, three, uh, two and a half to three months after, which put us just right about mid-May. Um, it now is, we're at back up somewhere around 5.4, so 5,400 repair orders. So we're not quite back to where we were. Um, I've got a guess on this that most of this is being driven 
because we're not segregating warranty, customer payer, internal. Yeah. I've got to guess that a lot of this is because there's just not a lot of new truck trucks being delivered. And so uh, there's not a lot of internal get ready type of repair orders that are being opened. Um, on the part side, we survey, as we said, 79 dealerships. Uh, the high point, again, was that week nine, week 10 mark. I think it was somewhere around five point, oh, excuse me, not five point, 37 and a half, 38,000 repair orders, or excuse me, counter tickets. We're up right now around 38,000 counter tickets again. Now, the, the, the uh, parts counter tickets have dropped somewhere around $10 a counter ticket. The repair orders have stayed, oh, they've, they've bounced anywhere from as high as 700 bucks to as low as 650 bucks per repair order. So we've seen, we've seen the dollars decrease some, but uh, you know, the volumes are starting to pick back up. And we saw the volume really start to accelerate. It dropped about eight weeks ago and eight weeks ago would put us right when we saw the uncertainty happen again, when this whole thing started to flood through the, to, through the South and through the West, but it popped back up pretty quick. And uh, so it, it looks better. I mean, I think there's still uncertainty, but not like there was two and three months ago. Well, I'm really glad you made that comment uh, about closing repair orders on the last day of the month, because <laughs> as a previous service manager, Right there with you. I don't know how we did it every month, but we booked half our monthly sales on that last kind of day of the month every every single month, 12 times a year. It was like a big party every time. Yeah, and that's called lag time, by the way, Tyler. <laughs> you don't want lag time. No, we don't. No, no, we don't. Um, and so I was really glad to hear you did it by when they were open. Because those are my first comments. Like, I'm surprised this isn't like the last week of every month where you get the big spike. But you guys, yeah. you guys did a good job flattening that out. Yeah. Um, similar things we saw here for what it's worth. We saw that huge dip, 25, 35% drop in, in everything. Web traffic, sales, technical support calls, everything. And now we're coming off two record months in a row. So things are just yeah. kind of just kind of picked right back up for us. And, yeah. you know, people always look at our industry and said, oh, you're in trucking. You must be good. They're still moving around. I'm like... No, what? No one's buying one hundred fifty thousand dollars trucks, and no one's buying ten thousand right. dollars diagnostic tools. We're, we're exactly having to right. find other things to do with that's that. Exactly right. Yeah. So that's that's great, Dad. And by the way, for everyone listening or watching, it's it's free. It's right on your website. Yep. It's great stuff to great stuff to go look at. Do you, do you think you'll keep doing it going forward, or is this like I, a one time thing? I think I think we will because I think we're learning a lot about it. And I think one of the uh, one of the other things that we're talking about incorporating into this is again we talked about the used truck database. There's probably a few things of used trucks that we can put on you know, onto this um, weekly dynamics that, that start to it, – it just gives you a feel for what's happening from a volume standpoint. You know, you talked about your business and, and I don't know about, about yours, but certainly our customers, both your, your and my customers, they've learned to adapt a lot in about six months too. You know, it, it's, it, they don't do work the same way they did on February the 28th. So let's talk about that for a second because I, yeah. I truly believe diesel laptops as well. You know, we're coming out of this thing stronger than we went into it. We got focused on yep. expenses and processes and lean train. Yep. Like we were like, we got to figure this out. As you said earlier, cash is king on the balance sheet. That goes yep. to zero. We're, we're all in trouble. So we got to make sure that number's up there. So, you know, what, what do you see going forward as companies come out? I mean, we're kind of coming near the end of this thing. There's talks of vaccine. I mean, do you see do you see e-commerce? Do you see people handling trucks differently? Sale like what what do you think changes when this is all all done? That's a great that is a great question. I 
Number one is I don't know. I mean, I really <laughs> don't know. But I, I think that I think what we've seen from this, and um, if anybody listens to to our podcast, you know that one of the things that we do when we start our discussion between the three of us is what is good and bad that we've seen in the last month. And almost inevitably, the bad continues to be those people that have let the crisis define them rather than not just reacting to it, but actually being very proactive and looking at their business saying, let's do something different. And I don't know who said it, but if there's a long time ago, um, don't let a good crisis go to waste, something like that. And there's people that have really, really uh, not just adapted to this, but have become much better. Um, You know, we've got a customer of ours that, probably Tyler three or four weeks ago, half of their parts department and a good fourth of their service department was out with COVID. Oh, yeah. And they did not miss a beat. Now, they suffered a little on volume, but they did not miss a beat. And that's because they had taken the time really to think about how do we serve the customer? So they've become much better at taking orders in the parts department, pushing trucks to the shop, communicating with customers, doing what the customers are needing and wanting rather than, Hey, I need my truck repaired. When can I get it in? And well, uh, three, three days from now. So the truck, uh, the fleet drives the truck over there in three days. Hey, I'm ready to bring my truck in. Well, it'll be another three days. Well, you told me three days when I called three days ago, but you didn't bring it three days ago. Right. And so now the communication piece with most of these, I won't say most, a lot of these dealers, um, and it can be just not dealers. It can be anybody. I mean, you, you just have to learn to communicate and understand what the pressures are that that end, re, that end user is facing. Um, and there's some, though, I will tell you, that have just not reacted to this favorably at all. They've just thought either that I can't do anything about it, so I'm just going to bury my head in the sand, or that we don't believe this is happening, or that this is going to pass really quick, and it's not. And even, you you know, you say that, that it looks like it's coming to an end. I don't know if it's coming to an end. I think we're probably closer to the end than the beginning. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think there's still, there's still uncertainty, and there's still fear, and there's still concerns about what's going to go on. And, you know, we've had conversations with customers about things that in January or, or February we wouldn't have talked about, one of them being technicians. And, you know, if you think back to January, again, our volume indicators say that we're volume-wise pretty close to where we were January, February. But in January, February, the idea of having, quote, a wasted technician or two was not a big deal. Yep. And now you've got people looking at the the, the really um, dealers with foresight, with, with the understanding that, you know what, if my shop is getting really good throughput, the best it can get, if we're really proficient, as proficient as we can become, and we see that our volume, we're just not going to, there's not that much more volume that's going to show up on our lot. And I see that I've got three or four techs that I don't need anymore. In January, they would have said, oh, we better hold on to them because 
we might need them at some point in time. They're saying, I think we need to address those three or four techs. Yeah, it, um, it, it was really short-sighted of them. And we saw the same thing too. All of a sudden you have 10, 15, 20, 30, whatever the number of people unemployed filing for unemployment. So, you know, we kind of went department by department and said, okay, marketing, we can hold you off from hiring another one. But tech support, software engineering, sales, it's still game on. We need to keep growing yep. this thing. And all of a sudden... Yep. We found great, awesome talent out there. And yep. in some cases, we didn't even have a position for them. I'm like, I'm going to take them today because I know I'm going to need this person in a couple months. And we ended up hiring over 30 people between the between April and August. So there for us, know. we're like, man, let's just go let's go stack the deck here. And when I tell people yep. we're coming out of this stronger than we went into it, it's the little things like that and the things you mentioned that really separate us. And yep. I think and you're I, other, some I of your dealers. Yep. And I think I think the dealers, again, that, that have been really aware of what's going on, they're not afraid to say, you know what, we're willing to look at a technician, to look at technicians, to look at these people and say, whereas in January, I would have not done anything with them. Today, I will. Today, I'm willing to take, I'm willing to look at this to say, I'm not sure I need you anymore. And again, we're not advocating cutting heads. That's not it at all. We want to see people add heads, but but there's been a lot more what's the term, mindfulness, yeah. I guess, thoughtfulness uh, about right-sizing the business to what it is now and to what it appears it's going to be. And uh, not everybody's just betting that it's always going to grow anymore. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. So I know a lot of our listeners out there are small business owners yeah. or diesel techs, or maybe they want to start their mobile repair business, or they have that. I know you mainly work with the big, large dealership groups. That's kind of your, your bread and butter, right? But for those guys that are listening to the independent shops or the smaller ones, the independent dealer even, what are like some what are some basic one on one things you think they should at least be looking at at this point? So I think there's two, and 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 they're the same things that we would deal with, no matter if it's um, a dealership group of thirty plus rooftops, or a small dealership of one, or an independent repair shop or mobile mobile repair shop. Uh, mobile truck. It doesn't really matter here. Number one is uh, maybe there's three. Number one is what is your expense structure? Um, and what, what do you need? And what do you, what would you like to have? And what do you just don't need? You talked about expenses, the, the work that you had done, Tyler, on your, on your business's expenses. But you know, what, what are the things that you, you must have, you'd like to have, and that you, eh, it's kind of frivolous and it's kind of cool to have, but we don't really need it. And understanding that expense structure is most important because everything, everything you're going to do is driven from that expense structure. Number two is how much money do you want to make? Okay. Now it sounds like a silly question. I want to make as much as I can, but we know that that's not true. So if it is a, a, a single uh, mobile maintenance truck that it's uh one person that owns that company, it's the same thing as if you're a 50-base shop, you still got to know how much money do I want to make. And so if I've got an expense structure of X, there's some level of profitability I need to add into that. So if my expense structure is 20000 a month, okay, what I would say is then that um, I want to sell, I want to make about 8000 bucks. Uh, on top of that. So, and we, we come up with that because the rule of thumb is that for a service department, your, your expenses 
should be about 70% or excuse me. Yeah. Your expenses should be about 70% of your gross, which means your, your net should be about 30%. So if you take expenses divided by 70% says, Hey, we should make there. We should have about $28,000 worth of gross. Well, I need to make about $8,000. So that tells me that my gross profit needs to be about 28,000. So now I know a couple of things. And this is what I think what a lot of people do. They understand their expense structure, but they don't budget for how much profit they, yeah. they want and need to make. So expenses are 20. My profit that I want to make is eight. That means I need to generate $28,000 worth of gross. So now I can figure out how much do I need to sell? How many hours do I need to sell? At what rate do I need to sell it at? Um, how many texts do I need based upon that? I can sort the game plan for what I need. So the first one is expenses. The second one is hours. <clears throat> and certainly we need to know how many hours we need to sell, but it's also controlling those hours. We talked about inventory earlier from a standpoint of new and used trucks. You have an inventory in the service department. It's called time. And time is an inventory and time is the most uh, disposable of all inventories because this hour that you and I are spending together, while it's fun and we hope that we get some great feedback from the listeners, reality is that if you or I had something we needed to do that could generate income for us during this hour, and we chose to trade it away for our podcast, we'll never get that time back. Yep. And so it's the same thing with technicians. If you can't bill that time for the tech, it goes away. So one of the things that we look at a lot and when we engage with somebody is looking at time management. And it sounds very simple, but where is the time going? Is it going onto a repair order? Forget about the billing piece of it right now. Just where does the text time go? Does it go into a repair order? Does it go onto something that is shop maintenance or, or a training piece? Or is the tech just standing doing nothing? And those times are really important. And you'll be surprised how much people don't understand where the time goes. And in some cases, you'll see people with two, and you'll detect punch on and off of jobs. Almost everybody does that, whether it's a, a single bay repair shop or, again, your 52 bay uh, dealership service department. They'll punch on and off repair orders. And people don't understand that these punches, that sometimes you have a payroll system that's separate from your punches on the repair orders. And so they don't reconcile these two. And so at the end of the month, there's something called work in process. You're familiar with that, I'm sure, Tyler, from oh, yes. being a service manager. And so one of the functions that accounting does is they work, they reconcile work in process to your open repair orders. And when it doesn't reconcile, there's all there should be all sorts of red flags go up. Most times it's just hands that go up and they say, ah, heck with it. I can't do it. I can't reconcile it. Let's let it go. And so much of it is because the daily reconciliations that should go on between the timesheets of what is going on repair orders and going on other things that's punched into the business system is not reconciled against payroll. Nobody's looking at those time punches. And so, number one, what's your expenses? Number two, and how much money do you want to make? Number two, how do you manage time? How do you manage the text time? Forget about billing right now. 
Just how do you manage the text time? So before you get into number three yeah. there, yeah. on your podcast, there was a line set on one of the episodes. I've totally stolen a bunch of times now and I use it. And it's, I challenge you to go, one of your, I can't remember who said on your podcast, but he said, I challenge you to go out in your service department. He goes, I literally bet you a lunch or something to that effect. You'll bet you, you a bottle of a bottle of scotch. bottle of scotch that you won't find half your technicians actually have a hand on the truck doing something. They're doing That's something right. else. And just, right. it goes to prove the point there's a lot of waste that goes on that is just fleeting moments of time that are gone that That's you right. can't recover. And it happens all over the place. Yeah. And the, the guy that said that, his name is Mark Martensik. And Mark is Mark is probably the he, – he knows more about service than I could ever hope to know. Um, and, and that's one of – he's never lost the bet yet. And Mark has been doing this for 40 years. Uh, so he's never lost that bet. The second thing Mark will tell you – and he doesn't. He does not claim to have invented this. He stole it from somebody. But that time is like a block of ice. That block of ice is put in the middle of your shop every day. Your job as a service manager, shop foreman, is to chip away at that ice and use all that ice every day in a drink or whatever you use ice for, and don't let it melt. Yeah, good analogy. Because the melt, the melt is the waste. So the so we've got expenses and how much you want to make, time, managing the time. The third thing in then is once you manage the time, how effective are you with the time in terms of billing the time? And there's three numbers that again, it does not matter what what type of of business you are. The mega dealership, the small uh, independent repair shop, the mobile maintenance. There's, there's three numbers you need to know. And people get hung up on the first two, and they're almost impossible to measure accurately if you don't know your time, if you, know your, if you don't know the time's right. So number one is something called productivity. A key advisor's definition of productivity is hours that are on a repair order, not build, just how many hours are on a repair order compared to the hours that the tech's available. The tech can't be available more than however many hours they're there for the day. So if they're there for eight hours and they're on a repair order for four, they're 50% productive. They cannot be more than 100% productive. It's impossible. The second one is efficiency. Efficiency is the hours billed compared to the hours that are on the repair order. Now, they can be more than 100% efficient. And so you'll see that a tech could bill six Remember, they're on the repair order for four, so now they're 150% efficient. The third one, that is never wrong, okay, if you're measuring your time right, it's never wrong, is proficiency. And our, our the KA, no, excuse me, the key advisor's definition of proficiency is hours billed versus hours available. So in this case, six hours billed divided by eight hours available, we're 75%. Now, You'll hear people talk about a tech is unproductive or a tech is inefficient many times. And, and Mark, again, will tell you the story. It's easy to make a tech be 100% productive. Hey, Tyler, the minute you come in, clock on to a repair order, and you don't leave that repair order until the end of the day. You're 100% productive. Never mind that you only build four hours during that day, and you're 50% efficient. Now the dealer, the owner says, Hey, I need Tyler to be efficient. Hey, Tyler, when you come in, 
go on available time until you have put you on a repair order. And by the way, don't clock on that until 30 minutes later and clock off 30 minutes before you're done. So now you're two hours on a repair order. We bill four, you're 200% efficient, but for the day, because you're only two hours on the repair order, you're 25% productive. Proficiency never lies to you. Yep. Okay. Now you need both numbers, but proficiency never lies. So expenses, time, making sure you know how you're managing the inventory and that your time punches are right. And then where is the time going? How are you managing the time? Productivity, efficiency, proficiency. If you can do that, you've got a real chance to, to make money in this. You know, I guess the fourth one would be something we call effective labor rate. Yep, I'm and that's just, the just going to go there with you too. That's yeah. what it comes down to at the end of the day. What what are you actually billing your customer on average? Yeah, and, yeah, and that's and that's the end of the day, right? So so you know all this. You can be great at putting time on tickets, but if you're not billing the right amount, and the right amount is what the market will bear for that yeah. type of job, and uh, you have to know that. So you know those those are the things that, from a standpoint of of just the basics. That's those are the most basic thing you can do. It, it's really eye opening when you sit down with someone for the first time and explain them all these things, and they realize, yeah, my shop door rate may be a hundred bucks an hour, but their effective labor rate sixty five, right? And yeah. they're just they're yeah. just things out there all over the place. And a lot of time, when at least in my experience, and I'm guessing yours, it's not like there's a lot of huge things they're doing wrong. No. It's a lot of little things that are just just nibbling away, nibbling away, and you don't have a great result at the end of the day. Yeah, you, you know probably about 15 years ago, we, uh, and I think we've always known this, but probably 15, maybe 17 years ago, Mark and I started in studying um, throughput. How long does it take from the time a repair order is open until it's closed? And there's pieces along the way. Well, it's now defined that we, we look at it basically, and well, we look at it a bunch of ways, but there's two main ways, something we call dwell time, which is the opening of the repair order to the last punch of the tech and then lag time, which you were talking about earlier on closing repair yeah. orders, last punch to the close of the repair order. And what's interesting is that there's not, as you said, there's not any one thing. There's a whole bunch of little things that cause a job that you build four hours on. And that's, we're, we're going to use a number uh, or a term that we call economic value added time EVAT and so it's a measure of waste. If you bill four hours on a job, but it took you four days of dwell time, open to last tech punch, what caused it to go four days for a four-hour job? Yeah. And the waste is, if you assume eight hours a day, that's 32 hours that that repair order was open, you build four, what happened to the other 28? You're never going to capture all 28 but is waiting for communication from with the customer, approvals, parts, putting the tech on the job, all kinds of things. So, you know, the, 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 the waste that's inherent in these processes is immense. And, you know, I, I know that, uh, that a lot of what you guys do, Tyler, is the tools to try and remove waste out of that process. And, it, and it's amazing what happens when you remove waste out of a process. Yeah, I think everybody wants to fix their equipment more efficiently. You know, the quicker you do that, you're either saving a cost if you're a fleet or if you're a repair shop, you're making more money and it's you're selling time like we've been talking about. Yeah. So with this, you let's see, you dropped a, a couple hints about your podcast show. 
And I will say this, I've listened to every episode <laughs> for conversation like this every week. And you guys kind of pick a specific subject area every week, which is great. I've personally learned a lot about it. You learn a lot about how dealerships work and you learn a lot about how businesses work. So what's the po- name of the podcast in case people want so to go watch that? The name of the podcast, and thank you for letting me say that, is The Three Wise Truck Guys. It's with uh, myself, Mark Martinsik, and John Whitnell. Yeah, so some very, very smart people on there. They bring in guests that are smarter than them all the time. Even yes, if you can absolutely. Believe such a thing. The, the, so. the, guests, the guests are smarter than us. So let's see, me. Keith, if people want to get a hold of you, I, I think you're pretty known in the industry, but in case people want to reach out to you, what's the what's the best way to do that yeah, or learn so, more about your company? So the best way to learn something about us is to go to K-E-A, and then the word advisors, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. And... Uh, that's our website. You can learn a lot about us. You can get in touch with any one of our advisors um, and uh, see what we might be able to, to do to help them out. Yeah. So again, Keith, very much. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate everything. I, th- I literally think I could sit here for days <laughs> and just talk to you about different things. So, But the value of time, right? So we got yeah, decisions we always got to make. So, Thank you, Tyler. Yeah, I appreciate no, it. Yeah, no problem at all. A great conversation. And, you know, I always, always end the episode by saying diagnostics done right. But this time, maybe it's a little bit different because you can't, it's not just diagnostics done right to be efficient, right? You need to do all the things that Keith's been talking about today. There's a hundred ways to lose a little bit here, a little bit there. <laughs> and you got to have those smart people that can help you out. Nobody knows it all. It's a lot cheaper to pay someone to help you do that than <laughs> learn those life lessons. I can tell you that coming from a family that went through that. Yeah, so this, this is true. All right. This well, is true. Thank you very much, Keith. And again, everybody, remember, not just diagnostics, diagnostics done right. This was Keith Ely with Keith.